being dirty doesn't work out for you all the time. I dare you to go to work tomorrow with a whole bunch of dirt on your face and clothes that you haven't washed. That's not going to work out well for you. Uh, If you do happen to do that, let me know. I'd be really intrigued to see who can pull it off. Um, Unless you work in the, I suppose, the plumbers maybe. But but, uh, other people in an office, you've got no chance. But the thing is, in Jewish life, in Jesus' day, being clean, well was really important. It was part of everyday life and being clean actually had religious symbolism that, we, that we're going to kind of wrestle with. You see, cleanliness, in a sense, uh, for the Israelites, related to God. The unclean were not with God, they were kind of the enemies, the, those that can't be with God because God's uh, holy and perfect, they're kind of perfectly pure, so we can't interact with dirt, it doesn't work. And then there's those that are clean with God. And so this uh, symbolism of clean and dirt is kind of carried through the generations. We still kind of have it today, even in Christian tradition, uh, in when uh, when someone believes that Jesus is Lord and he's died for their sins, is that you get baptised to acknowledge that you've been washed and made clean as a symbol. And so the idea of cleanliness is not about solely morality. Not about what you do that's good, but actually there's a ceremonial aspect to cleanliness. There's a ceremonial aspect to thinking about your relationship to God. So the law for the Israelites pointed to them needing to do a whole array of, a whole array of things to make sure they were clean that wasn't about whether they were sinning or not. See, that some people, the outward sides by nature meant they were unclean before God. If you weren't a Jew, you're kind of automatically unclean as a Gentile. The foods you eat, you can't eat certain foods. And let me tell you, it's lucky Jack wasn't there back then because uh, spending a week with him uh, away on a, at a conference and then spending some time uh, planning church, pretty much every meal we went to, the question he asked first of all was, is there bacon? He would not have gone well back then. Many of us ask that question though, to be honest, don't we? We love the bacon. Now... <laughs> See, it was important to be ceremonial clean, have an outward expression of being clean before God. It was part of the way God set things up. The problem is Jesus' guys, his disciples, they're not on board with his current religious cleansing traditions that we'll see. They didn't keep to them. And that's what we're wrestling with. But before we get to it, there's a question that's got to be asked, and you may have already asked it in your head and just about to switch off, is why do we need to bother with this conflict? It's a bit boring, it's a bit old hat, why do I need to worry about it? Well, we have lots of cleaning now, don't we? We have lots of cleaning products in our house. Let me tell you, we have window cleaner, we have uh, grime for the oven, we have uh, detergents for the uh, sink, we have... Uh, dishwashing, and my favourite of all time is those little um, foamy magic erasers. Does anyone use those magic erasers? Oh, spectacular. Yeah, maybe they're spectacular, aren't they? They clean everything. It's the new Windex, they're brilliant. We have lots of cleaning because we like being clean. But the reason we bother with this cleaning and thinking about it is because if you come with me through this passage and the conflict we see, what we're dealing with is whether we need to be clean before God. 
That's actually what we're wrestling with today. And I think that's actually something that is helpful for us wherever we're at with God, considering being clean before Him. And so, as we see in the outline there, the first issue is the issue of being ceremonial, ceremonially clean. That's what we see in the passage. If you've got it open up in front of you in Mark 7, let me read to you the first few verses, because to be in God's presence for the Israelites, they needed to deal with this. First one, the Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless uh, they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they will not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. See, the Pharisees were like Tim yelling out in the, in the kid's spot, that's gross, that's unclean, you haven't washed your hands. There was lots of things that they did outwardly before they dealt with food and eating. And you see, the Pharisees, they're kind of, sometimes I feel like they're kind of like vultures as they're trying to gather around Jesus, as they're gathering around Jesus again, ready to pounce. Aha, we found our moment, we're going to pounce on Jesus and his uh, disciples particularly. They're kind of going through at Jesus through his disciples. You see, the Pharisees took the importance of cleanliness further with extra human traditions. See, they, needed, uh, they saw the idea of needing to be ceremonially clean and they added traditions to help them do that. And here is the thing. The law for the Israelites, did not require all of God's people to wash their hands before every meal. It wasn't a requirement. But we get to Jesus' time and the leaders who are all about making sure the people are ceremonially clean have made it a regulation that that's what needs to happen. They claim to have the authority from Moses through the line of, uh, through the line of God's people to lead them in this way. And here they are, with this extra kind of tradition. What they're doing is they're kind of creating uh, a fence around the Torah. That's the first five books of the Bible where God's laws and ways are established for his people who he's made a relationship or covenant with. They're kind of making a fence around it so that making sure that, well, we're not going to break any of the laws because we're going to put in extra ways to make sure we don't get it wrong. It's kind of what they're doing. Now, in the Sam's family, we have a bunch of these kind of extra fence traditions in our household to protect our kids. One of them is the, you're not allowed outside the front of our house on our driveway that's really steep because if you go out there without a, without a parent, you're going to roll down the hill and end up on the road and get squashed. Because if you've been to our house, you see the driveways like that and our kids just kind of start to walk out and all of a sudden they're running down the slope. So we have that extra rule. Now that's not a governmental rule, that's not a law that if uh, a policeman happened to drive past our house and see one of our kids open up the door without us there, off we go and get arrested. No. It's the same as my other important rule. Actually, these kind of fencing rules are kind of my paranoia actually more between the kids. My other rule is, we're at someone's house, they have a balcony, you're not allowed out on, that house, out on that balcony unless you're holding Dad's hand and he's gripping your hand so tight that you're going to have a bruise afterwards because you're not going to jump over that balcony. 
because I have fears of our kids jumping over that balcony because, well, we've nearly been there. That's kind of what, I think those rules in our house are good and helpful. They're extra kind of protection. Now, on a good day, you could say that's what the Pharisees are trying to do. And that's the issue that they have with the, with the disciples. They're not playing ball. Look at verse 5, the issue. Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating the, their food with defiled hands? Why are they not keeping the ways? Why are, why are they being dirty and not clean? That's what they're saying. See, this is the problem. This is the problem they have. That Jesus' disciples aren't actually following the ways that the leaders of God's people are actually saying they need to do. Now that's the question, but you know what's interesting? Jesus does address the issue of cleanliness, but he doesn't talk to the, to the Pharisees about it. He'll get onto that in a moment, and we'll see that as he talks to the crowds, because he wants them to understand cleanliness. But he wants to let the Pharisee know about their real problem, which is just on display here. You see, he wants to show them there is an issue that is bigger. It's the bigger issue of hypocrisy, as our next point. Look at what Jesus says in reply to them in verse 6. It's very stark. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. See, the issue is not that they're trying to be helpful with these extra traditions, is they've actually replaced God's ways. He describes them. He can't be any more harsh with them. You hypocrites. See, a hypocrite is a pretender. It's kind of a, the, the word you use to describe someone who's an actor. You, you're pretending to be someone else as you act, and here we, it's, it's moved on to being used as someone who's pretending in life, where you're saying one thing and doing another, where things don't align up. See, Jesus is speaking against their actions because their heart, well... It's not aligned with the reality of what the actions are supposed to represent. It's lip service instead of heart service. It's human traditions are more important than God's law and His way. See, they haven't helpfully created a way of dealing with God's uh, rules, His way of living in relationship with Him. They've abandoned God's commands. That's what He says. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. All these extra things that you're adding are just turning people's hearts away from me, as your hearts are. And so Jesus says to them, with this beautiful kind of ironic sarcasm, well, congratulations, guys, well done. See that in verse 9? He continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. You have a fine way. Isn't that brilliant? Well done. 
They've nullified God's ways. And it's very serious. It's so serious, he wants to give them an illustration from something they know very well. The illustration of Moses and Corban. That's a really good illustration for them, but we don't really know what Corban is, so it's a bit trickier for us now, isn't it? But once we do, it really highlights the hypocrisy. You see, Corban was where, what you can do, well, let me read it for you first, the, the issue, and then I'll des- describe it for you in verse 10. He wants to show them their hypocrisy. And so he says, For Mo- Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And note, it's not just in this hand washing, it's systemic amongst everything they do. He finishes by saying at the end of verse 13, and you do many things like that. You see, Corbin is where you say, I've got all of this money and what I want to do with it is I want to devote it to God. I want to give it to the temple. I want to give it to God. It is God's money. I'm giving it to Him. But what I can do is it's God's money, but I'm going to invest it. I'm going to invest it, say, just making it up, in a, in a property. And in this property, I gain all the interests and get all the benefits out of, out of it, but it's still God's money, it's still going to the temple, it's still God's, and I'm getting all of these benefits out of it as well. That's Corban. Now, can you see the hypocrisy? You say, I can't use that money because it's God's money, even though God says the most important thing you've got to do is honour your, your father and your mother, and they need support and care and money. I can't, I can't, my money's tied up with God. No, it's not. It's tied up with you getting benefits out of it and abusing God to use it for your own gain. That's the hypocrisy that is systemic in God's people and the, particularly the leaders when Jesus turns up. It's horrendous. Abuse of God's own means is unacceptable. Hypocrisy is rife. Do you hate it when you have someone in charge of your work and they tell you to do this job and yet you see them do it exactly the different way? The hypocrisy that you find when someone's in charge of you, do you hate that? It's really frustrating and annoying. Do you hate it when you have been reprimanded for something when you've made a mistake to find that those that are reprimanding you do it worse? It's really frustrating. We hate hypocrisy. Wouldn't it be horrendous if at Grove, we started our church nine weeks ago, wouldn't it be on the idea that we want to be a church that's compelled by Christ's love? It's, it's on our banner over there. That we want to, we want to demonstrate to people Jesus loves uh, us. He sacrifices himself for us. Wouldn't it be horrendous if then we say that, I keep on talking about that up the front, or whoever's up the front here, but when a new person comes, we kind of put them in another room and we don't talk to them. And when they're finished, we say, well, the morning tea's actually for someone else. Now, that's a ridiculous example, and we wouldn't do that. 
But there could be more subtler ways, couldn't it, where we just don't purposely welcome people in when someone comes and we don't want to talk to them. Or not because we may miss people sometimes and, and not got it right, but we have this systemic, actually, we just want to be this size now and we don't want to welcome other people. Yet we keep on talking about welcoming other people. Hypocrisy. Wouldn't it be horrendous if we, our music continued to, to get better and better and sounded great and we sing the songs and the words mean lots and all of us here singing are tuning out in our heads and never ever actually wondering whether uh, we're bringing honour to God and building up each other as we sing and praising Him. That would be hypocrisy. I, I realised this week that I had to be confronted with a bit of hypocrisy. See, one of the things that um, I've been talking about from the beginning and lots is that if we're going to be a church that's honouring God, we're going to pray. We're going to pray lots. And we talked about, uh, for those of you here, weeks ago, it might have been in the soft launch before we actually started, I think I said that one of the things that happens with new church plants uh, that they've found is really focus on God's Word, which is primary and great. But one of the things that sometimes they struggle with is prayer. And I said, we want to saturate ourselves in prayer and make sure we do that. One of our priorities, and nine weeks later, while I was away this week at a conference in Brisbane with Jack, I realised, hmm, I think I've been a little bit hypocritical here because I don't think I have done, as the pastor of Grove, who said all these things, I don't think I've saturated myself enough in prayer. That's not good enough. You see, what's going on with the Pharisees, I want to, describe, I want to help you understand the problem with their symbolism. Now, <laughs> I don't think I needed to ask uh, this, but I just mentioned, you saw some of them are playing in the band today, but I asked the Roys to uh, wear their Queensland State of Origin jerseys today. So, Alex, you come up, come up for us. Now, they were a bit panicked because they thought, oh, this is about cleanliness and impurity and they're thinking, oh, I'm going to slam them. But that, that's not... Hey, mate, how you going? Now, if you know the Roy's, they care... Well, I care too, but many of you have no care about State of Origin because it's a New South Wales-Queensland thing, which is fine. You don't have to care. But these guys do. I do too, but we always lose, so I don't bring it up as much. Now, <laughs> these guys care. He's wearing a State of Origin jersey for Queensland. Now, if he was a Pharisee, he would misunderstand the symbolism of this jersey and thinking it's the reality. And thinking by putting on this jersey, in a few weeks' time, Alex is going to run out on the oval and play for Queensland. <laughs> See? I think that's kind of partly what's going on. <laughs> it's not going to happen, mate, right? But <laughs> you can sit down, thank you. See, that's the point. That's what the Pharisees are doing with cleansiness, with, uh, with their understanding of cleansing. I think we've got this outward cleansing that we're showing everybody, this external reality we're right with God. It's a misunderstanding of the symbol and the reality that's behind it. Identifying with, with uh, Queensland and their, their team is what happens when you put on a jersey. You identify, God made the ceremonial clean, you say, I'm identifying you as distinct, as a people that has to be clean because I am holy. But don't for a second think that that makes you get the reality. That's the problem. This is the hypocrisy. Now, Ethan really thinks that the case. He started Auskick and he loves uh, Port and he constantly rung me up while I was in Brisbane saying, hey, Dad, guess what? 
I got a port shirt. I now play for port. I got a port. He said it like 10 times. I didn't get a word in. I now play for port because he put on the shirt. It was a very helpful illustration, so I thank you for that. You see, if that's the hypocrisy, the next point is what really makes someone unclean? Well, the real problem is what is already inside you. That's where we need to go and see. You see, now Jesus wants to deal with this, and so he's just exposed the Pharisees, and so he turns to the people because he wants to understand, he wants them to understand their problem. And he says in verse 14, again, again Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by, by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. See, food just goes in, gives us some nutrients, and then goes out. It's got nothing to do with your inner rightness before God. Food is not spiritual, no matter how much today in the Western world and in Australia we want to make food the, the religious ideal whether it's our obsession with its tasting of it and how great it is to the many many diets as good as they are see kfc wicked wings and fanta is not going to make me wrong with god it's going to give me fatty liver disease but it's not going to make me wrong with god see whether it's food or something else outside that's the wrong way to think You see, we don't gain access to God by the externals. Sometimes, maybe, we want to be right with God by being really generous to God and His people and being really compassionate. And uh, watching uh, uh, Captain America this week and seeing that moment when Tony Stark, Iron Man, is being confronted by a mother whose son has died um, uh, kind of because of him. And she says, you're just being so generous. Your philanthropy... Well, isn't that, isn't that associated with guilt? So often generosity associated with guilt. So often giving associated with, that'll help. It could be outward attendance. I hope you're here today because you want to engage with God and enjoy each other's uh, fellowship and company, but not think I'm a little bit closer to God by t- rocking up. Maybe it's the extraordinarily brilliant quiet times you have as you open up your Bible every morning before breakfast brilliantly. They're good things, aren't they? God, money is God's and we use it for His service. We're called to be God's people who come together and encourage one another and sit under His Word. God's revealed Himself to us so we want to read it by ourselves and engage with it. But can you see the contrast? It's the misunderstanding of our reality of how we get access to God. And I think it's something we can all do and we can all fall back into. I think it's one of the biggest reasons why often so many people in our world are so far from God because they misunderstand what makes us right with Him. That we can't earn it, that we can't do something external to get right with Him. Sometimes it's because our churches get this wrong. Whether they're 
whole church tradition um, and which say you need to do all these rituals to get right with God, whether it's certain sacraments or certain good deeds or, or whether it's just little churches who subtly say, it's great that you're here today. You better make sure you keep coming. That will make God happy with you. We have our traditions. We, we do things regularly every Sunday. We do things regularly every Sunday. We hear God's word. We sing uh, praises to him. We read the Bible. We hopefully encourage one another. These are things we do regularly. They're traditions. Are they external expressions of our heart? That Christ's love compels us. See, the fundamental shift we require is a reality check on our humanity. And the disciples were a little bit confused after Jesus said this defiling out inner thing. And so we see in verse uh, 17, after the crowd and entered the house, the disciples asked him about it and Jesus said so beautifully, are you so dull? <laughs> he, said, he asked, don't you see that nothing enters a person from the outside can defile them? It doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all fluids are clean. Isn't it a great tragedy that the one thing they don't have very much in common, if anything else, that um, the Jews and um, uh, today, the Jewish people and the Muslim people have in common is the one thing that Jesus says doesn't matter. You see, verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slender, slander, arrogance and folly. These evils come from inside and defile a person. Jesus is saying something that humanity does not want to hear. External is far easier and less confronting than accepting. What if we pause and just for a moment accept? I, I want to be good. We're made in the image of God. There is that there. But our heart is completely messed up and tainted. That is the reality. But the heart problem is massive and we're in denial of it. See, we're so in denial of it what do we often tell our kids? What do our schools often tell our kids? What does Disney often tell our kids? Maybe sometimes what do we do tell our kids? How do we figure out what life is about? What does your heart tell you? What does your heart tell you? Well, Jesus is saying, your heart, while I've made it to be for me, isn't broken with all evil thoughts and problems. It's a challenge. It's confronting. What, what's needed is a transformation from within. Next week, Jesus is going to outline a lot more of the details of how he does it. But as we finish, the two stories of chapter 7 that, we didn't, uh, that finish this chapter point us in a really helpful direction. See, in these two, two uh, stories, Jesus heals two people. First, the daughter of a woman and a deaf and mute man. And there's something very stark about these two stories. See, the first one, the 24 to 30, what's that all about? It's a woman 
whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit. Now, the point there, impure, unclean spirit. Not so much uh, pointing to an evil spirit, but the idea it's an unclean, back to what we've been talking about. It's an unclean spirit. And this woman, she's a Greek. She's, by outward externals, ceremonially unclean. She's a, a Gentile who is unclean. She begs Jesus. She begs Jesus to to heal the daughter. And Jesus says, first, let the children eat all they want. It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Jesus gives her such an intense word. He's saying, first, it's for the Jews, then the dogs, the Gentiles. How confronting is that? And she responds with Lord. How brilliant. She gets what Jesus is saying, and she says, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the the children's crumbs. She's saying, Lord, you're for all people. It's going to come to us, and I know you can heal. And Jesus says, for such a reply, you may go. It happens. The daughter's healed. The one who is outwardly unclean is the one who receives the inner cleansing just after we've seen the hypocrisy of the, uh, of the Pharisees earlier. And it's only Jesus who can provide it, which he goes on to give more details we'll see next week. It's the same with the deaf and mute man. We won't go into that now, but the deaf and mute man is kind of a high point and you see, he's one who is also not a Jew, and he's healed, a deaf and mute man who is healed, and people say right at the end, he even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And back in Isaiah 35, what we see is the, the deaf and mute are healed when the Messiah comes and gives healing to all. Jesus is the one who brings about inner cleansing. See, who is Jesus? He is someone who does not like dirt. But that's only half the title. Someone who does not like dirt, that comes from within. Outward appearance is sheer folly. And so, what do we do to wrap up? There's two things I just want to mention. First, I want us to learn from the Pharisees, and then I want us to just be reminded as we conclude that it's Jesus that offers it to us. See, we need to learn from the Pharisees and their hand-washing obsession. You will have your own hand-washing vigilant moments where you need to make sure you're wise and identify the hypocrisy in your life. There are two classic external examples that I think the best way to kind of help you work this out in your life is to give you examples. And the two examples, alcohol and smoking. See, the example of alcohol... um, is, is, is helpful, I think, because you see, do you drink alcohol or not drink alcohol? Choosing to drink it or not. Now, the Bible does not say it's wrong to drink alcohol. Let me say very clearly, absolutely clearly, there are many reasons not to. There are many good reasons not to. I have many, um, uh, many colleagues who have made the decision for very good reasons that they never drink as pastors. But 
If you make that decision because you think that's what Christians must do and it somehow helps us be right with God, a good decision that you've made becomes an external hypocrisy. And that's what uh, we need to think about. What we do and how we do it. What are God's requirements of us? What about the example of smoking? Here's a question that I've heard many ask many times. Can you be a Christian and smoke, yes or no? I hope it's really obvious to you the answer. It's got nothing to do with it. Being right with God is about Jesus changing you completely. If we think you've got to be right with Jesus completely and so you can't do all of these things and until you do all of those things, isn't that grace, that's Jesus doing it all for you, and something else? We've missed the point. Now, I'll argue till I'm blue in the face that smoking is not a good idea. We know that more and more today. Back 40 years ago, however long ago, we didn't know that as well. There's lots of good reasons to give it up. Lots of good reasons not to. But if you struggle with smoking, don't think that that makes you any less wrong with God. If you need to smoke, if you need to go out now, for example, and go out and smoke, I wouldn't care less if that's what you felt like you had to do. I'd I'd be more than happy to help you deal with it and get it out out of your life, but I'm more concerned about you being right with God. And that external is not the issue. Now we can come up with lots of examples of that. I just think they're two very stark and clear ones to help us see the point. Let me finish. I've gone way over today. What we need to do is to decide if you want the heart that Jesus is talking about. Do you want to own up to the reality of your life that is no different from everyone else around you? Without Jesus... Without him healing us, without that healing being at the cross, that we'll spend a lot more time focusing on next week, but at the cross where he actually does the transforming of our hearts, we're just like everyone else. Jesus, time and time again in Mark, offers healing. He's offering a heart transformation that is there for today for all of us. You might not understand how it all works now. That's why you want to come back. Come on, coming back, talking with others, catching up with me, if that would help you. But what you can see today that can convict you that you need Jesus is that he is Lord. He's offering complete transformation and healing. He wants you to have it and you just have to ask him for it. Acknowledging that you don't bring anything to the table including our hypocrisy. See, the magnitude of what Jesus dislikes, our uncleanliness, is only matched by the magnitude magnitude, and even more of his desire to make us clean and right before him into all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, What a magnificent passage where we see Jesus just expose folly and stupidity. Help us. Help us, Lord, 
to come before you with honesty. Expose those moments of hypocrisy in our life and remind us time and time again, we come before you right because of what Jesus has done. It's in his mighty name we pray. Amen.